It's an honor to share the word today. You know, we're in our, our Summer in the Psalm series, so if you've got your Bibles, I picked Psalm 27. It's my favorite, so I want you to turn there. Psalms 27, chapter 1. We're going to read all 14 verses, and it goes like this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Of whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and they fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war rise up against me, in spite of all this, I shall be confident. Verse 4 says, One thing I've asked from the Lord, and that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life that to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me and he will lift me up upon a rock. Verse 6, and now my head will be lifted above my enemies around me, and I will offer his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice and be gracious to me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. Verse 10, for my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in this level path because of my foes. Do not deliver me into the desires of my adversary, for false witnesses have risen up against me, and such as breathe out violence. Look at verse 13 and 14. You may be familiar. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. I want to preach on this topic today, the next term. What's your next move today? Where are you going next? Are you going right? Are you going left? Are you pressing onward? Are you moving backward? Who are you turning to? And what's the next move? How about this? How about I take a moment and pray for you and you pray for me? Does that sound good? Oh, come on now. Listen, this is going to be a rough morning if you're a quiet person. I'm going to tell you that right now. So how about I pray for you, you pray for me. Does that sound good? All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, whether people are in-house or they're online, Lord, I pray right where they are that they would hear the word of God, that it would move their hearts, that they would be drawn to your presence. Bless everyone in this room. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. Anytime you read scripture, you always have to consider context. You have to consider the source. All of scripture is God-breathed, it's inspired by God, but as you see in Psalms, there's the emotional attachment of man, and so you need to know a few things about the author of this psalm, and that is David. You know, let's consider the source. You need to know that David was a fierce warrior, right? We all know he killed Goliath, but before he ever killed Goliath, he killed a lion and he killed a bear, and not only that, David's known all throughout Scripture with his mighty men of all these acts. He was cunning. He was an intelligent commander. He was brave. He showed no signs of fear. This dude was a bad dude. He was a warrior, a man's man. David faced a lot of responsibility as a young man. As a boy, he was anointed king over Israel, almost in secret, and he spends years waiting for Saul to be removed so that David could take his spot. And then David builds this incredible palace. He builds fortified walls around Jerusalem. David does a lot 
for the kingdom of Israel, and he had a lot of responsibility really as a young age. David also made some mistakes. David had some major issues, and what I love about the word is that God never shies away from the fact that the people that are listed in this book all have problems, right? They all make mistakes. In fact, David goes so far as to lust after a woman that he sends her husband to the front lines of battlefield. He dies, and then David forces her to sleep with him, has a child, and it literally causes all sorts of problems for David. David has made some big boo-boos, but even despite all the things that David has done, God still says this is a man after God's own heart. Man, what an accolade. Like, what is God going to say about me? He'll probably say that I probably eat way too much Taco Bell or something along those lines. Or though I like to dance in worship, I have no rhythm. Can I get an amen from all the people who can't dance? But what is God saying about David that we need to take notice of, that we need to apply to our life? And I think Psalm 27 is just a beautiful picture of a lot of things. But I'm going to point out three truths from Psalm 27. I want you to write these down. And the first one's this. God is both a safe place and a strong place. God is both a safe place and a strong place. And for a place to, to be a safe place, that means you have to trust in whatever it does. You have to trust that it's going to hold off what it needs to hold off, that it's going to cover you, that it's going to protect you, that you have to trust that when you put your, your body down into that chair that's in this room or your chair at home, that it's going to hold you up, that it's going to be there. You've got to trust in the situation. You've got to trust in your safe place. And what I love about God, what makes God this safe place is that God is bigger than anything that we face. Can I get an Amen. God, God is bigger than whatever report you've heard or, or things going on in this world. God's bigger. He's stronger. In fact, let's take a look at what David says right here. He says, one thing I've asked from the Lord and that I shall seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. You know, I just reading that, I, I'm shocked that he would, he would go from saying, everyone's against me, but my goal is just to be in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And I got this question for you, and I'm going to have several of these throughout this time. When life becomes difficult, where do you run? Where do you run? What do you, what do, you do? You know, we've got a two-year-old boy uh, and his three-foot-tall self, I'm not sure where he gets the height from, but he's already a pretty tall kid. And uh, he's still not tall enough to be out of the reach of our dog, Molly. We've got a little beagle. And so my son loves snacks, right? You know, every toddler, once they learn the word snack, like, it's over. They know where they are. They're going to hunt them down. And my son will get a cheese stick, and he'll walk around the house. And without a doubt, every time, the, the dog waits until my son's hand just drops a little bit lower. And that dog just comes in and snipes the top of that cheese stick and runs off. And my son loses it. Like, you know, full-blown, like, ah! like as if that was the last cheese stick on the planet and there is no more. But my son does something. Whenever the dog messes with him, he runs to me, and he runs to me for a reason, because he knows his mama's just going to go, no, no, dog, no. Daddy, dad's going to put that dog up in the kennel. Dad's going to spank that dog. And dad always gets you more snacks. Dads are awesome. And so my son, my son knows where to run. He knows that it's a safe place. The presence of God, whether that's in this house or 
in a small group or in your car when you're listening to, to praise and worship, the presence of God is a safe place. It's a restful place. It's a place that, that brings peace and it brings joy. And God can be wherever you are. It's not just in church, but he can be in your home. The presence of God. And if the presence of God is a safe place, then I know the presence of God has to be a strong place. It's got to be a place that can, can defend the enemy. It can fight against the enemy. You know, I'm a strong-willed individual. Now, that has helped me sometimes in life. In fact, I've, I've gone through some really, really hard battles with my body, with my physical body. I've been through some things uh, as a young man that many might not would have made it out of, but my strong will and confidence in myself pulled me through some of that. But my overconfident self has got me in trouble way more times than I'd like to probably admit. In fact, I'm going to be honest, most of my prayer life is me going, God, all right, um, I'm coming to you to fix a situation that you know I should have went to you first, but now that I've just messed it up even more, I really need you to come in here and, and fix this. I really need you to fix what I did wrong and, and, and what I messed up. To my fellow strong-willed, overconfident, and slightly prideful maybe people in the room, if you're listening today, I've got one truth that I know beyond Scripture is true, and that God is stronger than you. God is smarter than you. God can take what you do and do it ten times better, ten times fast. And for those of us that are independent and those of us that, that desire to be the one that fixes the situation, right? Like that's a hard pill to swallow, but it's one we must swallow. That God, he is stronger than anything that we face and that God is the safest place we could ever be. His presence is the safest place we could ever desire. God's presence is safe. So when, when life gets difficult, where are you running? Second thing I kind of notice in this passage is this, God's presence is a source. It's a source of joy. It's a source of confidence. It's a source of peace, man. There's been times where, where I, especially during 21 days of prayer, which we've got coming up, where I have just had a lot of things going on, and I've, I've kind of slumb, slumbered and came in really late, and Man, just didn't want to be here for prayer. But the moment that I got into the room, man, God just ministers to my heart and ministers to my soul. And I'm reminded that being in the presence of God, being in moments of meditation with him, talking with him, being a part of what he has for your life is so helpful. It's such a fuel for my soul. And one thing you'll notice about David is that David runs to the presence of God. David is a musician, and so he loves worship. And you notice the Psalms, they're, they're in this worshipful mindset. He may declare what's going wrong in the situation and cry out for God's help, but he always just goes back to this point where he's like, God, you're still in control. I still magnify you. And David is choosing to worship in this moment. He's choosing the house of the Lord in this moment. In Psalms 27, he's choosing that over worrying about the enemies that are rising against him in the situations in his life. 
Can I tell you what? Choosing to worship God in a time of crisis does not mean you're denying the crisis. No, no. It's, it's realizing that in that moment, the crisis, no matter how bad it is, no, how, no matter how bad the situation may get, it still is dwarfed by the shadow of the power of God's hand, of the things that God can do. Can I get an amen right here? Like, like it's, it still dwarfs in comparison to the power that God holds in his hand and his ability to come into your situation and change it right where it is, right then, right now. And what I love about David is that he says, you know, it's, it's my desire to be in God's presence, not just in a moment. What does he say? All the days of my life. I, I never want to leave the presence of God. You know, I, I grew up... Um, my parents worked really hard, and they're watching today, so I'm going to try not to say anything that will get me in trouble later. But my parents worked a lot of hours. My dad worked around 60 hours a week uh, in the car sales business. My mom was an oncology nurse, and she worked night shift. Nurses are straight heroes, I'm telling you right now. They, they work hard. And my grandma... Um, you know, like everyone from the greatest generation, they all know how to cook. I don't know how that happened, but they all just, they got it. And, but my grandma would pick us up from school, and she would watch us in the afternoons until my parents could get off work and come pick us up. Uh, and my mom would be sleeping during that time, and before she went to work, she would pick us up. But my mom, she meant well. I mean, she's a fantastic woman. But when you have to feed six kids, sometimes you resort to quick and easy meals like pork and beans. Can I get that? Anybody ever grew up on pork and beans in here? Or like uh, spaghetti. I've had spaghetti more times than I'd probably like to admit. And my mom used to make this thing called goulash. And it was just, it was hamburger meat, macaroni noodles, and a can of tomatoes. Like, <laughs> that, ain't, that ain't goulash. That's tomatoes, macaroni, and beef. Uh, but we knew, right? We knew if we, we hung around grandma's house long enough that my grandma would say, why don't you just stay for dinner? And it would be so late, my mom couldn't cook goulash before she had to go to work. And so all of us, we would hide or we would, you know how kids do, like lay on the floor and distract from everything. We knew, and something about that generation, my grandma and grandpa, just the two of them in the house, I'd, my mom would say, do you have enough food for us for dinner? Yeah, I just cooked 27 pork chops for the two of them. Like, I didn't think you guys were going to be coming over, you know, but we're prepared. And I just remember, like, longing to stay. Like, longing to stay at my grandparents' house. Longing for that everything cooked in Crisco kind of food. Like, I longed for it. I longed for it. I want to ask you this question. Are you sold out to God in such a way that you long to stay. You long to be in his presence. You long to have moments where God's power flushes over your body, where his peace comes into your soul. Are you sold out to God to that level and to that degree? Have you ever been sold out to God in that level? And if so, what went wrong? You know, I think oftentimes we have a problem selling out to God and giving our lives fully to him because somewhere along the way, we've sold out to people. And we've given our trust to a boss or we, we've, we've fully committed to a family member. Maybe even we've fully committed to a spouse only for them to drop us somewhere along the way to cause such a deep scar in our heart that we no longer can, can fully trust God and fully trust what he's, what he's got for our life. You know, and I, I just, I think many of us wander into that season 
where we rely on ourselves for everything and forget that we can trust God. And it all stems from at some point, somewhere in time, somebody let us down. Can I tell you this? Don't allow the shortcomings of other people to rob you of a sold-out life. To rob you of the blessings of being fully committed to God in a culture that just wants to cancel everything Christian. Don't, don't let people and the pain of the past rob you from saying yes to Jesus in this moment. Because I promise you it's the best thing. The, the sold out life has way more blessing than the life sold out to the world. David knew that if he was sold out to God, that God would no doubt sell out to him. And even when David's brothers turned their back on him, when his own son kicked him off his own throne, David still praised God because he knew God never left him. Amen. That's why he says this in Psalms 37. He says, I have been young and now I'm old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. No matter how bad life got, David knew. David knew in his soul and in his mind that God never left him. Come on and raise your hand if you can testify that there's been moments where God picked you up right where you are online. Drop it a comment. Lord, God, God never turned his back on you. In moments when you fell apart, God picked you up and he put his arms under you and he carried you the whole way. As humans, we make calculated decisions, right? Like, before we sign the dotted line, when we buy a house, we, we pretend we read through the 900 pages, right? Before, before you sign, before an athlete commits to a team, they have to know the details. They want to know, is this contractual agreement going to be beneficial for me in the long run? Is this going to be something that, that I, I'm going to regret or is this going to be something that's going to be beneficial? Can I tell you what? Before you ever committed to God, God was committed to you in such a way he sent his own son. Come on. He sent his own son, Jesus, to die on a cross for you and for me. God loved you before you ever knew that you needed to be loved. God is a source. God will always be your source. And if you live this life for him, I promise you, he will not turn a blind eye to it. I am proof. I am living proof. That committing to God is the best thing you could ever do. And maybe you're in here and, and you've never made that decision. Maybe you're watching online and, and you've not said yes to Jesus Christ. I promise you, you don't know what real love is until you've experienced the love of the cross. Until you experience what Jesus can do in a hardened heart, in a hurting heart, in a moment when you have given up on life. There is nothing more powerful than the cross, the blood of Jesus, and everything that he's done for you. Can you give God an amen? Amen. amen. The third thing that I, I kind of gather from this psalm is this, is that God always shows up, right? He always Shows up now. He might not show up when you asked him to, right? Like we would probably consider God to be a little fashionably late sometimes, but God is on time. He's on His own time, which is the right time. In fact, look at this. I found this interesting in verse two. When the evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and they fell. Came, stumbled, fell. All past tense. 
meaning David at some point in time. Come on, this, this, this just, just empowers me right here. At some point in time, somebody knocked on David's door picking a fight, and God stepped in in a moment and fought for David. God held back the waves. God held back all these things. God has lifted David up before. God has done these things for David. And so now in this moment of trial, it may seem weird to us that he's not worried, but he's not worried for a reason, and that's this. David's confidence was built upon a God who had repeatedly rescued him. Repeatedly rescued him. And if the God who never fails and never failed him before is still with him now and he's still with you now, I got news for you. God's never going to fail you. Whether you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing and you're asking for forgiveness, trust me, God's going to forgive you. God's going to welcome you into his arms, and God's going to change your heart and your mind so you don't have to go to, back to that. Whether you're facing the biggest move of your life or the biggest job change in your life, that stuff's scary. But God, he is with you. He's never left you, and he's never going to forsake you. Can you get an amen? amen. You know, have you ever noticed this one thing? You will immediately forget all that someone's done for you the moment you have a problem with that person. You know what I mean? Like, whether that's your parents, like we do that a lot as kids, right? Or sometimes you can forget your spouse uh, or a good friend. Like, the moment they do something to make you mad or disappoint you, that's the moment where you forget, like, everything they've ever done in their entire life for you. I don't remember a ton about my teenage years, but I vividly remember some arguments I had with my dad you're going to love this, Dad. You're going to laugh. It's going to be funny. Uh, I remember about 16, I wanted a car so bad. Like, like every 16-year-old, I just wanted to drive. I wanted that freedom. And I remember repeatedly going to my dad saying, Dad, you, will you buy me a car? Dad, Dad, will you buy me a car? My dad, he has a sense of humor. Let me just lay that out. He looked at me and he said, Son, I already bought you a bike. Like, just use the bike, man. It's a lot cheaper than have required gas. Just use the bike. And just so some context, we grew up in the cut. I mean, we were in the country, like 10 to 12 miles from town kind of thing. He knew that I would not get on a bike in 100-degree heat in eastern North Carolina and drive 10 miles one way to get a cheeseburger with some friends. He knew that wasn't going to happen, but yet he still would make that joke. And, and you know, like... It's amazing how a 16-year-old can turn into a 4-year-old like that, you know. And uh, I, I remember going, oh, you don't care about me. You know, so if you've had teenagers, you understand. Like, they're like, <laughs> like that dry heave, like almost like work themselves into a vomit kind of cry. And I would say, like, you don't care about me, right? And you know what? I was young and dumb. And it's okay for me to say that. Like, I was dumb. Like, don't look at me like you've never had a dumb moment in your life or you've never done something like, ah, oh, I wish I could take that back. You know, I, I did a lot of that at that age because what I failed to remember is, is at five years old, I decided to be Superman and, and run through both panes of glass in the screen, screen door that we had at our house. And I severed all the arteries in my arm all the way down there and cut across my head. My mom, again, she's a nurse. Something different when it's your kids. She's panicking. What does my dad do in that moment? My dad pinches together the skin of my arm. He wraps it up in this towel. Blood, I mean, blood is everywhere. It's terrible. And I'll never forget my dad scooping me up and throwing me in the back of an Oldsmobile 88. That thing was so big, it was like a land yacht. Like, it looked like it fell off the set of In the Heat of the Night. And he took that thing so fast into the hospital. I remember hitting the intersection and just go boom. Like, solid three seconds of airborne. My mom's like, no, pulled me back down. 
you know, and, and they stitched me up. I, I forgot about that moment. And then it's funny how in that moment I forgot about all those times. You see, right about that age, I, I developed a, a heart condition. And I would have, have these heart episodes that were extremely, extremely painful, almost like many, many heart attacks. No, we had had, had corrective surgery that, that failed, that didn't work. And in that moment, I forgot all those times that I would be having an episode. I'd stumble into my dad's room and I'd sit down on the edge of his bed and he would put his hand on my back and he would begin to rub it and he would begin to say these things, Lord, in the name of Jesus. God, he just began to plead the blood of Jesus over my life. Are you thankful somebody did that for you? And my dad would say, devil, you got no place in his body. You have no place in his mind. And my father would pray. He'd pray till I calm my heart down. He'd pray and rub my back. And then you know what my dad would do for this 18, 19-year-old boy? He'd put one arm over his shoulder and he'd walk me back to my room. And like a little infant, he'd lay me back down. 18, 19, 20 years old. My dad just, just held me and, and would carry me. But gee, in those moments when my dad didn't do what I wanted him to do, I all of a sudden forgot about all those nights he cared above and beyond. Isn't it quickly how, isn't it, isn't it almost ashamedly how quickly we forget how much the Heavenly Father has done for us? Man, do you remember when you, when you didn't have a hope left, when you were dangling by a thread, when you were at the bottom of the bottom, there was nowhere else to go, but it's in that moment that Jesus found you, my God. He found you and he picked you up. He loved you when nobody else loved you and he became everything you ever needed in that moment. Man, it's so natural to forget, but I am, I am at the point in my life where all I want to do is remember, man, remember all the things God does for me because God always has showed up. I realized something as a young man, that no one ever really cared for me like Jesus, that there's no other friend so kind as he, and no one could take all that sin and darkness from me but Jesus. I realized that and I just give him praise for the fact that I am where I am. And if I made it here, guess what? You can make it here too. You can, you, whether, if you're online and you're just catching about 10 seconds of this, I want you to know these 10 seconds, you can make it right where you are. God will meet you where you are. He'll reach into your life where you are and he'll fix everything that you've dropped and you've broken and he'll put it all back together. Amen. I've had some hard, hard times in my life, but every single time, God always shows up. He always, always shows up. You know, I find it odd the way that David kind of ends this thing, right? He, he does it a little different than probably you and I would have ended it after we sat there and talked about everything that was going wrong in our lives. He does it right here. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. David doesn't end it by saying, God, take it all away and do it now. He doesn't say, God, I'm, everybody's against me. God, just, just I'm going to close my eyes. I'm going to give you three seconds and you do it. But yet you and I pray that way, right? We close our eyes. We pray, God, Everything's going wrong in my life. God, remove it right now in the name of Jesus. And we go. Still there. I'm going to keep going. And in our heart a little bit, I think that we begin to discount if God's really listening. But God is listening. God's just not on your timing, and that's okay. 
David, David doesn't say, God, just pull me out of this thing and, and don't let me have to stay here. Because that's what I would pray. Instead, David says, he says, I will, I will wait for the Lord. You see, there's that David. There's the David who was anointed king as a young man, but waited until he got the opportunity to take the throne. There's the David, the David who the king he was going to replace stalked and hunted him, trying to kill him and take his life. And David could have taken Saul's life several times, but yet he waited. Why? Because he honored that and honored the timing of God. There's, there's that David. That's a man after God's own heart. In this last moment in this psalm, David almost poetically begins to do something. He bridges the beginning with the end. He says, you know, enemies are rising up against me, but hey, at the end of the day, guess what? I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. I will wait on the Lord because he is coming. He's not going to be late. And David shows us this right here, that God is always trustworthy. He's always been trustworthy. You've never, he's never once lied to you or dropped you. God is always on time. He's not on your time, but he's on his time. And he's right when you need him the most. And then God is always with us. You can wait in the middle of a crisis because you're not waiting alone. Because right next to you is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You don't need me to go to work with you when you have him. You don't need me in the middle of your situation following you everywhere along. Oh, there's Pastor Ben. No, you've got the Lord of hosts standing with you and walking with you. And when he walks into the room, let me tell you what happens. Every enemy has to just move. Cancer has to flee. Things have to run. Despair and depression got to go because light and dark cannot mix. And the light of all heaven is walking beside you. If David trusted God to fight his battles, if David knew that in the middle of crisis he needed to be in the presence of God and worship, and if David knew the source of surviving was patiently waiting and he was a man after God's own heart, what does that say about your heart? What does that say about mine? Am I patiently waiting? In the middle of a pandemic, am I praising God in his house or online? Am I trusting that God's going to be there and I'm just patiently waiting for him? Do you have the trust? Like, I mean like major trust in God right now in this moment. Or are you a little skeptical? I believe God in this season and in this time of everything going wrong in our world is proving something to us that he's watching, that he's listening. I believe God is revealing the suffering of many people around the world. And God's bringing about a reckoning because God is, God is trustworthy. God is a righteous judge. I believe that God also, you know, he's on his own time. I can't explain everything. But I know one thing. In the meantime, I'm going to praise. <laughs> I'm going to pray. I'm going to worship God in-house, online, in my car, you name it, I'm going to worship him because I know the best thing to do while I wait is worship while I wait, to give him the glory for all he's ever done and all he's going to do in our life. And so I want to leave you with this thought and this question right here. Will your next move be to trust God even when it doesn't make sense? Will your next turn, right? All of us have to make a decision about what we're gonna do next. 
Maybe you're not facing catastrophic circumstances, but you're facing something. What are you going to do next? Is God going to be the person that you run to, that you rest in, that, that you trust in, that you believe has your best interest in mind? Is that going to be you? Or are you going to still do like stubborn, old, uh, strong-willed, overly confident Ben? Are you going to use, use me as an example? Are you going to do things on your own? Are you going to prove to God and prove to everybody else that you're strong enough to beat this thing when really you're not? But he is. If you've not given your heart to Jesus today, I feel so strongly to tell you there's nothing more trustworthy than Jesus Christ. There's no one and there's nothing more, more loving and kind than the work of the cross. That someone would give their life up so that I could take a deep breath and walk new. So that in the middle of a pandemic, I could praise God. I could do all those things because a long, long time ago, Jesus nailed himself to a tree because he knew one day that a, that a partying, half-alcoholic, damaged heart kind of young man was going to finally say yes to Jesus and walk a path that he'll never regret. And God did that for me, and he did it for you. So today, where's your trust lying? Is it in God with your, your next big move or your career change or the raise, I've got twins on the way, you know, like raising children. Are you going to trust God even when things seem really, really hard? Because he's worth every ounce of trust that you put in it. I'm going to pray and some of our staff are going to come. But I just feel led to pray right now that, that courage would rise in your heart and trust would begin to take hold of your life right here online everywhere lord right where everyone is or whether they're in their home right now or they're in their car or they're in this room or they're in a noon and pop-up side lord i pray right where they are that courage and faith would begin to rise lord for someone who's not said yes to you god that they would say yes to you that they would they would give their heart to you lord knowing they're making the best decision in their entire life in jesus name we pray amen